Getting engaged is a moment worth cherishing. A one-of-a-kind ring that you design at Blue Nile can help your love sparkle. Just choose your diamond and setting. When you've found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Finding the right engagement ring can be nerve-wracking. At Blue Nile, you'll have the expert guidance needed and a diamond guarantee that ensures you're getting the highest quality at the best price. Cherish all of life's moments and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Basu and Gaday Notebook. Uh, we're January 19th. And um, gosh, Arpin, you were in, in uh, Ottawa yesterday. I'm going to be in Boston for Saturday's game. I'm curious to see if the Canadians are going to be able to to showcase a better defensive effort than what we've seen yesterday in Ottawa. But mm-hmm. this is really a case of a team that's Jekyll and I that's able to contain at least, maybe not surpass or dominate, but at least contain like the, the best offenses in the league. And, you know, whether it's against San Jose or yesterday against Ottawa, Uh, they struggled mightily. So it's really, yeah. really a 500 team. <laughs> yeah, and yeah, it is big time. You know, I looked at it. They haven't been more than three games above 500 all mm. season, and they have not been more than two games below 500 all season. That's their range. They've been mm. in that range all season. And, you know, the thing about that game in Ottawa, you know, Mike Kelly at NHL Network – Uh, put out a stat on uh, on Friday morning where the Sanders had 16 scoring chances off the rush. 14 of them were on net, which was the most by any team in any game this season. So, um, you know, rush defense is, is one of the things Martin St. Louis keeps harping on. Yeah. Um, and it's one of these recurring things, you know, on a young team. And I think this is, you know, a lesson that – they learned the hard way last season is that, you know, these areas of their game, they don't necessarily get taken care of and you can kind of put them aside and move on to the next thing. There's certain elements of their game that they all they constantly have to keep, stay on top of. But, um, you know, it wasn't just last night. I think we were looking at even some of the better games that they've played and, You know, expected goals numbers and shot numbers and all sorts of things suggest that the defense is getting a little leaky. And so we'll see what happens in Boston. If you remember the last time they were in Boston, it was really a season-altering yeah. night. You know, it really impacted the psyche of this team a great deal because they were given a lesson by that Bruins team. Um, you know, let's see if they're, they're – it seems like they might be in a position for that to happen again. Yeah, absolutely. And regarding the rush defense, it's interesting because uh, Kent Hughes also mentioned it in his midseason press conference, uh, mm-hmm. you know, pointing to that aspect of the game where they've been struggling and they've been trying to uh, to work on it a great deal. And it's really a case where you can see 
instances where the the forwards, especially the third guy, will be caught too deep. So mm-hmm. they'll give a lot of space in a neutral zone on the counterattack. And then if the defense start just giving up the blue line and, and pull back, they it gives so much room for the opposing team to gain speed and structure and attack and in, in you know in odd man rushes. Uh, they're putting them, themselves in danger. And, I mean, Caden Primo was not in the, the type of form where he would steal a game yesterday and, and clean up all those mistakes. But mm-hmm. sometimes the Canadians will fall back into their patterns and probably you need games like that to remind yourself that, hey, what what we had tried to fix, uh, it needs revisiting again because it, it's, like, it's like at school you need – You know, you learn the lesson, but then you need revision at some point. And it was a revision game for that defense last night. I would I would imagine that Marte St. Louis is cursing, spent the day Friday cursing the fact that they have to decide on days off well in advance because yeah. uh, the Canadians got a day off today in Boston, um, you know, in the middle of three games and four nights. It makes perfect sense. But I'm sure Martin would have liked to have at least had some meetings because okay. – Um, you know, there's nothing better than the only positive of a game like they had in Ottawa is that is the teaching p- potential of it. And, and there was a lot of teaching potential from that game. Uh, you mentioned the odd man rushes. I mean, that second period, it was one after the other, after the other. And, and frankly, you know, the senators could have had a bunch more goals, you know, that they just didn't cash in on it. So, um, but again, I don't, you know, I think that was an extreme case of, something that the Canadians were sort of teetering towards. Uh, I, I don't think, you know, considering the quality of opponents they had been facing, you know, I know the numbers suggest that defensively it's been difficult, but when you're facing the Oilers, the Avalanche, uh, the Rangers before that, and, and you know, just just high-quality opponents, yeah, um, that's going to happen, you know. And so, again, it's let's see if a trend develops off of this rush defense laps that they had in Ottawa and it was a big lapse. Like let's not it's not sugarcoated. It was it was awful. Um but I think that's something that Martin has kind of taken a like about this team is that they 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 do correct themselves quickly, generally speaking. Uh let's see if they're able to do that against uh you know pretty high quality opponent again on Saturday. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, they facing the Rangers, the Oilers, the Avalanche, the Doors are high quality teams, but they also gave up 38 shots against Buffalo. They gave mm-hmm. up 39 against Philadelphia, 38 last night against Ottawa. Those last eight games, they gave up on average 38 shots. And during that span, you know, of eight games, uh, I mean, their expected goals, uh, ratio, was one of the worst in the league. They're they were they're at forty four point seventy seven percent. So it's not a team. I mean, they might be five hundred in terms of points accumulated and, and in the standings, but they're they're far from being a fifty percent expected goal uh, type of type of team. So especially lately. So you know whether you're looking at chances, shots, goals, they're all in the red, and that's something that. You know, the, the, uh, it's going to be the, the Martin Saint Louis keeps saying how they defend in five. It'll be a responsibility of the uh, the forwards to to fix it, but we'll see also uh, how the um, the blue line will will rebound. 
And and today I wanted to, uh, you know, I wanted uh, I wanted to focus a little bit with you on, on certain some of those defensemen. Um, you know, we uh, I think it was unmistakable the last few weeks uh, that we had to praise and mention how James Trouble had, uh, you know, uh, climbed the ladder uh, this season and ended up uh, well, he ended up playing on the fourth uh, on the top four. Uh, he has for the past little while, but it seems like it's it's been catching up to him a little bit, right? Since since he's been put in that uh, in that top four position, yeah, and playing with David Savard, playing against tougher opponents, and this is uh, you know this is something that has come up regularly this season. You know where where Marte Saint Louis is looking for a fourth guy to put in that top four, mm. whether that's. Gustav Lindstrom for a while, whether it was Jonathan Kovacevic for the span, he played with Mike Matheson, um, you know, Harris for a little bit, Barron, uh, and now Struble. Like it's, it just shows the extent to which context um, in performance is important. You know, Jaden Struble at the start was getting sheltered minutes, limited minutes, was making the most of those minutes and, and by through his play demanding more and more and more. Mm-hmm. Um, Very similar to what Jonathan Kovacevic was doing when he got bumped up to the top pair with Mike Matheson for a stretch. Uh, but, you know, Marte St. Louis has said in the past that he feels, you know, players have windows of efficiency, you know, like ice time windows where they're at their most efficient. And um, there's also usage windows, I guess. They're not really windows, but usage circumstances that, that, lead to certain efficiencies for certain players. I think past few games, we've seen it with Jaden Struble. Um, what used to be a very mistake-free, efficient, simple, even though I hate that word, but, you know, a simple game, not making mistakes, not making any flashy plays, just moving the puck, getting it back when needed, doing what needs to be done. Um, of late, with his increased role, you're starting to see more mistakes just because he has more opportunities to make them and just because he's playing against better players. And, right. and it doesn't mean that James Struble's all of a sudden a bad defenseman. It's just that it's a tricky transition with young defensemen to get them into that threshold of top four usage. And it's something that the Canadians are going to have to figure out a way to do on a regular basis because there's more of these young defensemen coming. And this is going to be something – Uh, that the Canadians are going to have to monitor. You know, the only guy who – the only young defenseman who really didn't have much of an issue with it was Caden Gooley last season, you know, where I think he's just seamlessly kind of, without anyone really noticing, worked his way into a top four role and, and didn't really look out of place. But we've seen a number of guys this season. I think we're going to see a number of guys in the future where, yeah, he looks so good on a third-pairing role. Let's give him more. Well, it's not always that simple. You know, there's always, there's, there's, there are some circumstances that make a defenseman look good in a third pairing role that can maybe expose that same defenseman in a higher role. And it's the same with, uh, you know, I, Marty was talking about, I remember he was talking about forwards on that day, but it's the same principle that applies for defensemen. He said, you mm-hmm. know, if, if I, if I give you, 10 minutes, show me that I can give you 12. And if I give you 12, yeah. show me that I can give you 14, et cetera, so that eventually your usage is going to, uh, your time on ice will go up because that optimal time 
you need to have a certain amount of data and, and understanding of what the player can give you before you narrow the, uh, down that window. For players right. that arrive, in order to find it, you first have to give them a certain amount of leash. Uh, some have had it easier than others. But yeah, so it, it, I think your examples from earlier, especially especially Kovacevic and Baron, who have been thrusted into those top four roles for for specific periods mm-hmm. at some point they peaked and yeah and actually Kovacevic fell off a cliff and his game has not recovered to this day from that mm-hmm. um he he was scratched he's been he's been brought back for a couple of games made some turnovers been scratched again uh it's it's not easy for him so but I, I wonder it's I think that it's great that they make that same experiment with Struble. But when you talk about a young defense core, that's also part of it because you have a lot of players that are ready to see some NHL action, that are ready to take some responsibility. But that jump from the third pairing to the second, if you take Struble out, is there are there guys that are ready to take on that role now? Probably not. I would yeah. rather keep Baron in the third line, a third pairing responsibility. Same goes mm-hmm. for Harris, Kovacevic, Struble, all those guys. So will they work at, at a rotation? Uh, you know, would they call up Jacka and say, "Well, we'll put you as part of the mix too"? I don't know, but it's there's a there, there's just a, a tipping point that you reach with each of those players, and I feel like with uh, Struble, we've seen it in the past uh, three, four games. Yeah, no, 100%. And look, I mean, you know, Harris looks really good right now, right? Mm-hmm. Playing third pair. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's 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 just important context to keep in mind. And so the one, you know, the one role, I guess, that's that's shifted quite nicely for the Canadians has been Gooley moving to the right side. And I feel we should talk about this because this, I, again, like the Struble thing to me is a wider ranging uh, story where, you know, the the D is going to be young and they're going to be coming into the NHL. And, you know, it's, 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 it's part of the that, progression, progression year. It'll be a thing. recurring yeah. thing that you need to look out for. I feel that we should sort of monitor mm-hmm. as we go along. So when you see Gooley, who... You know, let's be honest, when he was playing with Baron, yes, Baron was struggling, but I think Gouli also was going through a stretch where he was struggling as well. Um, I don't know about you, but I find since he's been put on the right side with Matheson, he's looked really good. Like he's yeah. gone back to himself. And that Gouli's ability to play on the right side would have wide-ranging implications for how the Canadians organize their defense yeah. moving forward. Um you know, so let's let's dig into some of those. Let's say this becomes a thing where right. Gouli can effectively become a right a right side defenseman. Mm-hmm. What are the what are the domino effects of that as you see them? Gosh, there are, there are, there are so many. First, I think it's it's wonderful news. I don't think that Martin Saint Louis doesn't seem to be too enamored with the idea of having a guy playing his offside on defense as much as possible. You'd like to play a lefty with a righty, but let's say he sticks with that. Just in terms of personnel, it, it has a, a lot of dominoes that that could potentially fall because of that. The first one I see is that I think that Justin Barron could and should become trade bait for the Canadians. I think that he's a guy. Jeez. 
that has not. Yeah, it, it, he's not I a guy that, that coming. No, I'll tell you why. Well, I, okay. I feel like he's a guy who, who could be a good defenseman in the league, but I'm just concerned with just the the level of trust that they're going to give him and the progression curve that they see in the defensive play. I just if they have if they are to have so many defensemen and choose from those defensemen, uh, they have to identify for certain guys and Baron is one of them at what point do we have like the ideal value for this guy and if we hold on to him too long we progress continue to experiment and wait for two three years etc and then we realize that he's got value x it might not it might not be the value that he would still have at this point in his career so he seems to me like a guy that if you could have enough depth on the right side, he could become expendable. Well, if I mean, if Gouldy you look stays, down the road, I mean, if you look it, down the road, just sorry to interrupt, but I mean, it, it, to put that in context, right, like two, three years from now, mm-hmm. it wouldn't be so hard if Gouldy's playing on the right side to look at a right side of Gouldy, Reinbacker, My, Logan, Mayu. Sure. And then and then where's Justin Barrett? Exactly. But yeah. even – but that, that happens – He becomes expand. I mean, you don't want to. That's the other domino is that you don't want to pressure guys into roles that they're not ready for. And Logan Mayu could could benefit from a lot of seasoning still, even if he's had a promising season so far in Laval. You could leave him there, work on his defensive game, so that even though they have needs on the right side, you wouldn't put him in that position where he, there's it's too much, too quick. Same goes for David Reinbacker. We'll see how he fares. Uh, in, in North America at the end of the, of the year if, as we expect, he comes he, he comes to play here. But I think that Gouldy enables you to bring some stability to the right side and enables you on the left side to potentially have Struble and Jackye playing at the same time, which would bring, I feel, a very rugged and and, and, and solid and hard-to-play-against type of defense. So that attracts me. And eventually, if you, you were talking about looking down the road, eventually, oh. while well, you add Lane Hudson to that group, it could be just one of Jackye or Struble, but he would be well-surrounded. So I think that Gouli, even though he's a lefty and he's, he's, he's going to be a mainstay for this team, I see that just looking at what they've got on the left and the right side, it's more interesting for the team as a whole to have it on the right side. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I'm, <clears throat> I got to admit, I tend to lean towards, um, you know, Marty's way of seeing it. And I think most coaches way of seeing it that, you know, having a lefty righty combination is ideal. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, it's not, and the Canadians have reinforcements coming on the right side. And if they held on to Baron, having a right side of, Rhinebacker Mayu Baron, two or three down, two or three years down the road, would be good. But it does. Gouli moving to the right side would eliminate some of the logjam on the left side because even now, if you're looking at, you know, you mentioned the down the road, like if you have a defense of Hudson and then Gouli, Jackai, Struble, Mayu, Rhinebacker, that's like a big, mobile, aggressive mean streaky kind of defense, you know? And so yeah. it, it compensates for 
you know, Lane Hudson's not that, obviously. He's a lot of that's other it. things, but that's not what he is. So it would, you know, allow you to to introduce a player like Lane. And, and we're not even including Mike Matheson in there. And then, you know, he has a couple of years left on his deal. He might they might even want to re-sign him at some point. Like it's 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 also important to note in this whole equation that you can't just roll out a bunch of kids on defense. <laughs> it's no. just not, it just doesn't work, you know? So, um, and that's, an, I think, another thing that people need to, to realize. But, I mean, it, it's true that putting Gouli on the right would maybe make Barron expendable. Um, to me, in the immediate future, yeah, Gouli going on the right, does it make David Savard expendable or does it make David Savard someone that you try to float you know, we've talked about the extent to which teams are looking for defensemen like that. You know, Chris Tana is one of the hottest names on the market, obviously an expiring contract, not quite the same thing. But those types of defensemen, year after year at the trade deadline, uh, playoff type, battle-hardened, shot-blocking, snot-nosed defensemen kind of um, are, a lot, are very valuable. And and yeah. maybe the fact that Savard has another year on his deal, so you get him for two playoff runs, makes him more valuable. But you have to weigh you have to weigh that against what I just said. You can't just roll out a whole bunch of kids on defense. You need a veteran presence. If you trade Savard, you're basically saying, "Well, Gouli's a veteran now," whereas yeah. he's played like 80 games in the NHL, not even so. Um, but yeah, it's you know, I, it it's it does create a whole bunch of possibilities that don't exist if Gouli's on the left side. I agree with that for sure. Yeah, but I, I I think that that idea of just not leaving a bunch of young defensemen out there and making sure that you've got enough veteran to veterans to protect them is the main reason why I don't expect Savard to be traded this off season, uh, this mm-hmm. uh, the, prior to this trade deadline. Uh, Next year, at the same time, might be a different matter. But what I, the only thing that I wonder, though, is that if there's a scarcity of right-handed defensemen available and the price for those, you can potentially fetch a lot, can the Canadians take advantage of that and jump on the occasion and, you know, if they're being offered something that they can't refuse, they decide to move Saval now instead of next year because I look at the lineups it could right now could they afford to be without David Savard and have Gouli and Baron and Kovacevic yeah. on the right side it's I mean you would have to be so out of contention by trade deadline and you know which they will be you wave the white flag and say you know what let's screw too bad let's just screw that well that's exactly uh, what's gonna that's exactly what's gonna happen yeah At the trade deadline, they will be so far out of contention that, that, you know, the consequences on the standings will not be a factor in any decisions they make trade deadline-wise. And Ken Hughes even said it. I mean, it's, you know, he said it last on Monday. Like, it's the plan's not going to change. So whether the Canadians are in it, whether the Canadians are out of it, they're going to proceed with their eye on the future. So if if, now let's see, like, you know, I think – Pierre LeBrun had kind of an interesting point in his latest column uh, on The Athletic where he kind of talked about how the parody has made it so uh, bubble teams feel like they can sneak in and top teams 
are less sure about their contender status. So, yeah, you know, ask the Toronto Maple Leafs. <laughs> ask the Toronto Maple Leafs, exactly. But there's a, there's a bunch of, you know, I think every contending team, Stanley Cup contending team, you could point at a flaw or two or three mm-hmm. that that would make them think twice about going all in on the season, you know, like dumping first round picks left and right and adding and adding and adding so that maybe it's a more conservative trade deadline because of that parity, um, which could depress the value of any number of guys the Canadians are trying to trade Sean Monaghan, Jake Allen, if they were to go down that path, David Savard um, or whoever. Uh, And, to me, if you only trade David Savard, if you get a King's ransom for him, like if you get a big haul, then you have to strongly consider it. Even then, it's a discussion. I would do it, but I would understand them not doing it to insulate their, their young defenseman. Um, but if you're not getting the big haul, then of course you don't do that. What if I need whether, to... yeah, sorry, like, regardless of what it, well, just you know, when you were saying, oh, can you roll with, uh, can you roll with, uh, Gulli Baron Kovacevic. Yeah, Gulli Baron Kovacevic. Uh, sure, you can. <laughs> I mean, it's what's who can, like? What are they? What are they hurting by doing that? You know, yeah, they'll they'll probably lose a few more games. Ultimately, that could help them. You know, I mean, if they mm-hmm. if they wind up with a better draft pick, but um, you know, it's one thing to do it for the whole season where you're putting young defensemen or young players in general in a tough spot. It's another thing to do it like from the deadline to the end of the season, like basically three weeks, four weeks. You know, it's like it's not, and they're gonna, you know, they're, yeah. They're but once it, once Savard is gone, now. once Savard is gone, he's not coming back in the summer. So you would have that next season too. Yeah, but you could address it. You could sign a you could sign a veteran for your third pair or whatever. I mean, it's 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 not as if it's not a fixable. Temp- you can't find a temporary fix for that. Mm-hmm. It's you know. So, but again. Depends on the return. So we'll it's see. funny because I, I, I would agree with you that they would be less inclined to do it now. Uh-huh. Uh, like someone's going to have to come and really knock their socks off. But you mentioned the Toronto Maple Leafs. Like the Toronto Maple Leafs would be one of those teams who would need a guy like David Savard. Yeah. Um, but they're playing in such a way right now that if you're Brad Tree Living or Brendan Shanahan, are you like, are we spending more assets on these guys? Like the way they're playing? Like we have a lot of, we have a lot of questions that we need to answer about our team, you know, and, and, and they could look in the mirror too and say, wow, we didn't really have a good, very good off season. We didn't help these guys too much, but, but still the holes that need fixing are, are off season holes that need to be fixed. And so, so that's, and how many other teams are in a position like that where they're questioning, they're questioning that, you know, I mean, I saw, you know, Jared Spurgeon's gone for the year, and I mean, Bill Guerin is just like is so all in on this group and just refuses to give up for some reason. Apparently, he's going to look to to tr- to add someone to to replace Jared Spurgeon. Now, Jared Spurgeon is a different player than David Savard, but it's just an example where you know the whims of a general manager can change with every loss and every win and what have you. And so the market really has to shape up. Uh, I yeah. think for the Canadians to really consider it, you know. Right now on the on the right side in Minnesota, you got Brock Faber, rookie defenseman, uh, mm-hmm. top pairing on the right side, then Zach Bogosian, then Dakota Mermis. So yeah, David Savard could could help them. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. Exactly. But, it, but like how much, like how much are they willing to give? You know, that's the thing is that it's 
I, yeah. I, it's all well and good to not wave the white flag on your season, but at some point, someone has to tell Bill Guerin, hey, Bill, like, let's take it. We're not that good. <laughs> you no. know, you know, we're not that good, right? You've already fired a coach. Uh, it's not going, it's, this is spending more on this team is insanity. So if he comes to his senses, you're not probably not going to get the price that you want for someone like David Samar. But if you get there, it, that's what, if you get it, I think you absolutely 100% have to consider it. There used to be a time not long ago where guys who had one more year remaining on their contract, it, it, it seemed like they were more valuable because you could, you could use them for two playoff runs instead of one. Mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't heard that argument lately, though. It seems that that extra year, and Savara, as we all know, has another year to his contract, is more of a deterrent because it's the, the financial, everybody's so tight against the cap. And even if, even if you count for the fact that ca- the cap is going up, let's say in Toronto... They already spent on Nylander mm-hmm. the, the margin by which the cap is going to go up. So they're not going to be more flexible. It's just they could maintain the status quo for next season with, by resigning Nylander. But the cap, the cap for them, they're, they're, not, they're still going to get squeezed. So for a, a team like yeah, Montreal who wants teams, to trade. For most teams, that's not the case, though. Yeah, but I wonder if it, you know, the fact that either for Savard or for Jake Allen, for that matter, The extra year, like it would be probably easier to trade to trade Allen uh, to a team that's you know that needs help in uh, in goal uh, just for this season. If he didn't have that other year, you know, I'm sure that the Maybe. teams that I have mean, commitment to uh, to other goalies for two, three more seasons, they don't want to add a, an expensive backup who signed for another year. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Yeah, but I think the reason why we haven't heard... That is because, I mean, this is the first year that teams could actually consider doing that, I think. is is It's been for so long they couldn't add the guy with the extra year in his contract because the cap was, go- was not going up. They had commitments, what have you, with the cap going up and continuing to go up. Uh, but in both these cases, it's only, only next year that matters. I mean, basically, the cap increase would fully absorb either Allen's or Savard's contract, plus – and leaving a little bit more cushion. So, um, but I think what, what's different is that it used to be that that extra year got you more value in a trade. Mm-hmm. Like, this is where I think you're correct in that now that extra year 
might actually cost you value in a trade or might actually, or won't get you more, um, more of the value that you should, because you're, you're, you're giving, you're sending a player that's under team control for, you know, the end of one season, a playoff and a whole other season and a whole other playoff. Um, that is where I think you might be correct in that, um, the value of those players used to be higher and maybe they're not, maybe they're not anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, maybe. So in that sense, perhaps it, it hurts Savar's value. Uh, and in that sense, it would make more sense for them to wait until the trade deadline next year to trade him. But he's healthy right now. We cannot guarantee well, that it. he's going to be healthy next year. Not only, not only that, we can't guarantee he'll be effective next year. Yeah. He's effective right now. And it's actually, you know, we were talking about Struble. Well, Struble's game started to dip when he got paired with Savard. And I don't like, you know, Savard has his limitations as a player. Um, We all know that uh, he's, but he's at his most valuable in the playoffs, right? I mean, that's where he's, yeah. that's where he's good. And I think most general managers know that about him. Uh, but you risk getting into a situation if you wait till next deadline, you know, if he has a difficult regular season next year and just destroys his value, that's the risk you have to take. You know, that's, that's, it seems to be the type rope can use always has to, he has to do that with Sean Monahan every year. <laughs> Or he's had to. He did like Ben Sherratt. It was a similar situation, and he pulled the trigger on that deal early. As a result, um, got obviously got the price he wanted to. That didn't that didn't hurt. Um, but that's good. That's going to be an interesting conversation in that room. Is is Savard's value as a leader and a mentor and a veteran, someone who can eat difficult minutes, someone who can kill penalties, someone who blocks shots, does all those great things. How that can help their young defense core versus what he can fetch in a trade now versus what he can fetch in a trade at the deadline next year. Because uh, it's pretty clear, like, at the end of next season, he's not going to be playing for the Canadians anymore. Like, one no. way or the other, <laughs> he will not. So when do you when do you get the most value for that, for that player? And to me, taking into account the risk of his game slipping next year, I think that is, that is March 8th. Right. Uh So moving on from one Quebec player to another, let's go up front and talk about Joshua Roy, who had uh, you know his first taste of the NHL, first goal in the NHL against uh, the yeah. New Jersey Devils. A yeah, beauty. oh, a beauty, yeah, for sure. I mean, all all night long against New Jersey, he was he was a threat out there with mm -hmm. uh, with Armia and and Monahan. First couple of games at the Bell Center, uh, more tentative. I think well. He faced two teams that play extremely fast. Uh, yeah. So for a guy just arriving from the American League, the, the the difference in speed, I mean, at some point, there was, in his very first game, it was like a second or third shift. He was, somebody lobbed the puck mm -hmm. in the neutral zone, and he tried to, to, to land it with his hand so that he could, You know, he could carry the puck afterwards. But the, the second the puck touched the ice, Brett Kulak cut in and <laughs> stole him, stole the puck. And he was like, whoa, <laughs> it was not Connor McDavid. It was Brett Kulak. Yes, exactly. exactly. <laughs> Everything happens fast in this league. You know, everybody comes yeah. at you and you don't, you don't have room. You don't have time. So he learned that the hard way in those first two games, but he, he got his level of comfort raised quickly and significantly from his second to his third game. 
Um, so what do you what do you make of his beginnings? Well, and steak, you know, steak dinner in Manhattan with the Quebec boys that'll make you comfortable. You know, it's, yeah, you sure. Yeah, yeah. So that that helps. Um, you know, I think. Yeah, I mentioned this on on the on the broadcast in Ottawa last night, but you know, I was listening to a lot of the post game stuff. I was in the car and I was just consuming some media after the game against uh, the game in New Jersey. Yeah, and you know, I think we've seen it enough times where the public, and to some extent, certain pockets of the media, uh, get very excited about a local kid. You know, get very excited, and and it's obviously more the case in Montreal than it is anywhere else. So if you have a local Francophone kid who comes up and starts showing signs that he's ready, the instinct is to say he's ready and say it's time. Uh, We've seen it countless numbers of times. Um, I think it would be important for the Canadians to stick to their plan here and you know, give Joshua Roy the taste of the NHL and try to make it a good taste. You know, like if he plays another couple of good games, Josh Anderson comes back or Tanner Pearson comes back, who we fear he, he seems to be on the verge of doing, um, send him back. Say, you know what? You did great. This is, you showed what you'll be able to do in this league at some point. Um, but we want you to go and, and finish your season in the AHL. Let's help help that team get into the playoffs. Go play in the playoffs in the American Hockey League. And go have success there, and we'll be waiting for you. You're a big part of our future. We're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. There's no need to rush this. So, you know, obviously, I, I don't think you can judge anyone off the game in Ottawa. Uh, everyone had a pretty rough go of it. Uh, but I think the Canadians organization has to be kind of leery of of this phenomenon that risks uh, growing in magnitude, let's say, if he strings together a couple more good games. Because just one good game from him, I think, created some of that momentum <laughs> towards yeah. something like that. But the, the issue here is that Against Ottawa, even though the whole team sucked, uh, that line was the least bad of the lot. And if they no, it's true. Should, I mean, they should win an award. Yeah, no, hundred percent. Yeah. So if they have a good game in Boston, you know how Marty thinks. He might say, "Oh, you know, I don't want to be focused too much on the result." But if he sees something that works, his first instinct oh. won't is won't be to dismantle it. He's going to try to keep intact whatever works. And right now, for what we've seen in a very small sample size, Roy, Monaghan, Armia, it works. Armia plays, Armia, Armia, Armia managed to play like four or five very good games in a row. Kudos to him. Yeah. Uh, so if there's a bit of consistency in his game right now, which has been so elusive and so hard to get, maybe that, maybe that Marty won't want to mess with that chemistry just yet. Because you mentioned two names of guys potentially coming back, Pearson and Anderson. To me, those are two very different cases. If Anderson comes back, then, yeah, sure, send him down because Anderson can play in that role uh, mm-hmm. and you can send down Roy. But I haven't seen anything from Pearson that that makes him like 
deserving of necessarily getting us whatever spot there is there. I mean, he's going to play when he comes back. I'll give you but- a reason. I'll give you a reason why he's deserving is because they want to get something for him at the trade deadline. Fair that's enough. why he's deserving. That's that that would be the motivation. That's not deserving. Wise. That's not deserving. That's, that's that's asking that's asking the coach yeah. to manage the way that the general manager would want to manage. It's part of the gig. It's, it's the reality when you're not a playoff team. I mean, sometimes you have to play guys you don't want to play because you want to goose their value for the trade deadline. It happens all the time. It's a very well, and, it's, and it and it would be there would be nothing wrong with telling Joshua Gua, you were really impressive. You really took a step. We have to do this for reasons that are outside of hockey reasons. Um, we'd like you to go back to Laval. We'd like you to continue playing well and help that team make the playoffs. It's, it's, I think the Canadians and, and Ken Hughes said it on Monday. Like it's, it's important to the organization that Laval managed to reach the playoffs. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an important, I think it's more important than whatever benefit you get from keeping Joshua Hua around and, and, You know, that might be good for him, even though arguably it wouldn't be. Like, I mean, let's say all of a sudden things go badly. You know, he's, he hits, you know, he, the kind of the adrenaline of his call up sort of wears off and, and he, he hits a stretch where he's not as effective. And then you send him down after he's been playing poorly. That's a different vibe going down because you've been playing poorly as opposed to going down just because of logistics, you know, just because no, this is I what understand. it is. It's a, it's a numbers game you're the odd man out because of the numbers game, but you, you've been playing great. Go continue playing great in Laval. You go down there feeling good about yourself, you know, and if you, if, if you let it stretch out and maybe, you know what, if you let it stretch out and he plays great, then great. But it's, you know, I think the, it's a win sending him down after a few good games. You got your first NHL goal. He feels good about himself. Maybe he can carry that into his play in Laval. And he can be even better in Laval. But for the organization, getting the Rocket into the playoffs is a priority. And so that would be totally. part of the equation in this decision. Yeah, I agree with you there. And I, I'm sure that he'll end up in Laval at some point. But uh, it's just a, the, the flip side argument of what you're saying, because they want to draw some value out of Pearson. The, the, the counter argument would be to say that with Roy and Armia, Sean Manahan has just played his four or five best games since game number 15. Yeah. He's so I think it's, if you can raise the value of Monaghan, you can hope to raise the value of Monaghan more than you can hope to raise the value of Tanner Pearson. I don't, but, uh, but okay. So as it stands right now, I think we, we already discussed it, right? I mean, as it stands right now, Monaghan's ceiling value is probably a second round draft pick, right? Let's say. If, if it's more, it's more, but I would that's what I would expect them to get. If so, it's more, great. Great. Well that exactly. So that's that's what it is right now. Mm-hmm. So how much more value are you going to get? Like are you going to is Sean Monahan going to suddenly vault himself into first round pick range? I don't think so. Uh, you know, I don't I d- I doubt it. I don't, I just don't see that happening. Maybe it does. Still, Who knows? But even if he goes on a heater with these guys, which yeah. let's be honest, is not very likely. But let's say he does, because right now yeah. he has what he got an assist last night. So I'm not so he's got four assists in his last three games. Um, you know, let's say he puts up, I don't know, ten points in ten games. Does he become a first round 
does does the team say, "Oh, I'm giving up a first for this guy because because he's producing with all of a sudden"? Like, I think teams know what Sean Monahan's all about. Any team well, acquiring Sean Monahan is probably going to slot him into their bottom six. It's probably going to be a third line center for any contending team that goes out and gets him. Yeah, it's pretty rare a team spends a first round pick on a third line center. Doesn't really happen too often. Unless it was uh, who's who, who did, did uh, Nashville? Nashville did gave up a for first Andrew for Cuff. Paul Gostad. Remember, yeah. Paul Gostad got a first round pick. That was bad way back in the day, but yeah, yeah. So Andrew Cup was traded for a first round pick, who ended up being Brad Lambert, right? And a conditional second round pick, and a fifth. <laughs> yeah, jeez, really? Yeah, so. Yeah, but did he play? Did he play third line for them? I think he played on the wing. Did he not? I could be wrong. No, no, no. He was center, but he was moving from second to third. No, no, no. In the, in it, with New York, he in played New on York. third line. Yeah, he played on third. Oh, yeah. Okay. Pretty sure. But I mean, you say every, the whole league knows what Sean Monahan is all about. They know Sean Monahan, but there's an idea of Sean Monahan who was a premium player, and now there's the will Sean Monahan ever find part of his magic back and if he goes on a on a heater there's a mm. chance that the, a team might say you know what he's he's effective enough that he's that he's worth paying more because you just because you create more of a market if if everybody says oh too bad he's uh you know he's a bottom six guy at this point and he's he's, he's labeled that way by everybody then you won't fetch more than a second round pick but If if there's if he shows more offense, people will remember that that Sean Monahan has been a very productive player in the NHL before, and that he's Maybe. not 30 years old. <laughs> he's not 30 years old, yes. But I mean, I think that I don't find that to be a good argument to keep Joshua Wall in the NHL. That well, Sean Monahan's going well. I mean, you could replace. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's it's. You don't want to make development decisions based on that. Like it's it's it just it strikes me as as just uh, you know we talked about it the last episode. You know how the, the Canadians you know wanted to institute this sort of rotation where guys get a little taste yeah. and they go back yeah. to Laval, yeah, yeah. and that's yeah. they're, they're they have a perfect chance to do it with this kid. So for sure, it's just yeah, yeah. it's just and I think it's a good. I think it's it's going to be a good. I mean, I don't know how long he's going to stick around, but it it would be a good experience for him to see what it's like to be a guy from here and play for the Canadians. It's, it's also, it's also extra good to get a guy like that, a taste of Montreal mm -hmm. because um, that's a, that's a, that's a unique reality that you have to handle that some people are really good at, like Salmon Tombeau just doesn't bother him one bit. Doesn't, doesn't change him or affect him or, Or no. positively or negatively, he's got the perfect personality type for that. Um, like, like Philip Deno before don't. him. Philip Deno before him, exactly. It's, 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 there's a lot of guys like that. And there's, there's some guys who it, it's a little bit less. Mm -hmm. Jonathan yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> you know, I mean, Jonathan yeah. Dubois had trouble handling it. He thought he was ready for it, and he wasn't. And so it's, it's. I think it's something that the Canadians need to incorporate into their thinking of. Um, of guys like this, guys from here that are going to feel added pressure naturally, that are going to get more media attention naturally, 
and 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 how to how to digest it all. But I know that you've you've heard some media talking about it and getting all excited by the local kid. But you know, which is normal. It's fine. Uh, the, yeah, it. but in, just, in the yeah. grand scheme of things, honestly, there's been instances where people got carried away a lot more than that. I think that for the most part, people remain level-headed towards Joshua Wei because everybody expects him to go be- go down, and they're not calling him the savior by any stretch. You know, it's. It's just, it'd be fun the if second it were so. The second intermission of the radio broadcast, I was going to pick up my daughter from water polo practice. Mm-hmm. The second intermission of the radio broadcast, um, they were debating They were debating that Joshua Hua brings more to the Canadians than Yessi Alonin, and there's no reason why Yessi Alonin should play over Joshua Hua. This was in the middle of his first good game in the NHL. <laughs> it hadn't even been completed yet. So... What have you done I mean, for just, me lately? And I mean, I'm, just now. <laughs> I'm just saying, you know. I mean, it's just like, yeah, yeah. listen, it's it's fine. And the thing is, that if he strings together a couple other good games, it's only going to grow. You know, what was yesterday? The pregame, the pregame in Ottawa was mm-hmm. Sean Monahan and David Savard. They fielded like eight questions. They were all about Joshua Moore. I mean, it's just it's just it's just a fact. It's like it, and yeah. it's it's there's nothing wrong with it. It's normal for people to be excited about uh, a guy from here who potentially has a bright future with the Canadians. That's fine. But it's, you know, it's, it's just, it can be a lot for some people. I don't know if it will be for Joshua. Maybe he'll deal with it fine. Who knows? Mm -hmm. But I'm just saying that if he strings together another couple of good games, it could, it tends to snowball this, this sort of thing, you know, it gains momentum pretty quickly. And so the Canadians just need to be aware of that, I think. And, and, and act accordingly. And whether they say, okay, well, screw it. We're just going to, let's expose them to it now. Maybe that'll be beneficial for him down the road that I could see an argument being made in that sense, but it's, uh, it's just a factor that they have to consider with Joshua that they wouldn't have to with Sean Farrell. Right. As an exa- as an example, or Emil Haneman or what have you. It's just it's just an added layer to the management of this prospect as opposed to other ones. In my Speaking opinion. of yeah. So anyway, he's on he's on emergency loan, so there's you know, they would have to return him as soon as uh one of Pearson or Anderson's ready to come back. Um but uh, you just mentioned Haneman. Mm-hmm. Do you see a difference because Haneman was Eased into the lineup and really tiptoed, playing fourth line minutes. So on occasion, a game. I think he had a game on the third line, but Joshua Wu arrived and he had a spot on the second PP right from the get go. Yeah. Why is that? You think? Because I, I, honestly, the fact that they, I don't know. In terms of usage, they they pictured the two of them differently. You know, instead of managing Roy the same way that they would Heinemann. I mean, Roy, I understand that he's never been a fourth-line guy, and to put him in a fourth-line role would be a waste, which is one of the reasons why why he'll, he'll go back to Laval eventually. But Heinemann, if you want to see what he's about, play him I don't up think he too. Was given, I don't think he was given a proper window, and maybe he will after the deadline. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if Monaghan's gone, if somehow they manage to trade Pearson – who knows what else happens, but you know, there's no, I mean, this is what's going to be tricky for the Canadians is, you know, there's no roster limit after the deadline. And so, but you do have only three call-ups, 
that you can use between the deadline and the end of the season. So it's a tricky dance that you have to play. And plus you have two paper guys to be eligible for the AHL playoffs. Like a, a team, a player has to be on the AHL roster at the trade deadline in order to be eligible for the AHL playoffs. And then you have to yeah. use one of your recalls to bring them back up. It's an absolutely moronic rule. I just, I don't understand the benefit of this rule, but it's, it's a, it's the reality. And the Canadians are going to have to manage that, you know, like is Arbor Jack going to spend the rest of the season in Laval? I, I don't no. see any, I don't see any momentum to him getting called up right now. Maybe I'm wrong, but it's. Well, that's I, another I, benefit. I, you see, that's another benefit of playing Gouli on the right side because they, Baron is still waiver exempt. So they could yeah. decide to send him down for a bit so that they can call up Jackye. Yeah, they could. But then who, do you, who comes out on the left? How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool, white, sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. Find a fresh take on a fall getaway to Wilmington, North Carolina and beaches. Enjoy hiking trails in a state park, fresh seafood with a sight of live music and fall festivals galore. Then live it up along the Riverwalk in Wilmington's historic downtown with three island beaches, Carolina, Curie and Wrightsville and a vibrant downtown. You get the best of the Carolina coast all in one place. Plan your fall getaway at WilmingtonandBeachesVacation.com. It doesn't, solve the, yeah, no, it doesn't, it solve, doesn't solve the. No, it doesn't solve the yeah, issue. It doesn't solve the logjam on the left. So, yeah. Um, anyhow, it's just you know we don't we, we'll get into this when it's more appropriate time in the season. But it's just looking down the road, it's going to be interesting to see how they manage who's going to be playing in Laval, who's going to be on the roster in Laval on March eighth. Um, so who basically they want, and 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 to what extent they're going to bring guys up, um when you want Laval to be playing meaningful games down the stretch and trying to get into the playoffs, you know? So it's, um, that's going to be an interesting thing to me. And, and, and Joshua Wolf falls right into that category in the sense that he's a guy that's, he's a guy that's going to that's going to help him make the playoffs. Yes, exactly. And, and as we both, as we both agree, that should be a higher priority for the Canadians than, than whatever's going on in Montreal. Mm -hmm. So for, uh, for the time being, they're, Laval, as we speak, uh, this, at the time of uh, this recording, they're playing for 5-14, one game above 500, they're fifth in the North Division. So they're, they're really in a, in a, in a fight to the death with Utica and, and Toronto to, to, uh, to, to win a playoff spot or a playoff spot or to, to miss the playoffs altogether. So it's going to be a tough ask, but, uh, I mean, they're eight one and one in the last ten games, so they've got some momentum. Uh, um, right. Let's uh, let's get to uh, Future Friday. We still don't have a jingle for Future Friday, but it is Friday. Um, you know, I don't know if you guys. Obviously, last week we talked about David Reinbacker. My story on him came out this morning on the Athletic. Um, I'm sure that nobody in the nobody in the comments has mentioned 
Madvey Mishka. I'm sure. I, I literally <laughs> have not read the comments for that very reason. And and I mean, if it probably it probably is, and what have you. It's it's, um, and that's you know that's the unfortunate thing about his reality is that he's always going to be tied to this 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 guy who's like, yeah, who's like almost a mythical figure. He's he's become more. He's become a, greater than himself. You know, he's he's like this. He's He's an ideology. Yeah. Matvey Mitchkov is an ideology. He's, he's, he represents something that Canadians fans have not had for so long and want so badly, just an offensive superstar potential. And he definitely has that, you know, 100%. But it's the Canadians decide to go another direction. And the guy they picked is a pretty darn good hockey player and, and plays a very rare position, which is it, it's a coveted position, a, you know, a, a, a mobile, big physical puck moving right shot defenseman. You know, it's, it's, it's valuable. So anyhow, we talked about Ryan last week. I mean, I don't have that much to add. You can read the story, but it's, it's, you know, I think it was crazy how much Mark Strait was just like kind of gaga over this guy. <laughs> really, uh, oh, yeah. really. And, and the, I guess one of the revelations in the story, if you go read it, is that he was one of the people they saw the Cavalier who played with Mark Strait in Philadelphia. Um, this was one of the calls that the Canadians made was they wanted Mark Strait's endorsement of this kid and they got it full on before they drafted him. So, but while I was in Zurich um, or in Switzerland generally, but specifically Zurich, um, I also had a chance to meet with Vincennes Rohrer, who, um, you know, the third round pick out of the Ottawa 67s. He was the kid who, uh, who we successfully predicted the Canadians were going to draft somehow, somehow, Magically, um, based on uh, the combine, Nick, yeah, yeah, Nick Bobrov's combine behavior when he was getting measured. Um, did you tell that story before? Uh, in, in our old podcast, you did, but it's I, it's I worth. Mean, we wrote about it. Yeah, I mean, it's yeah. So basically, <laughs> we were at the combine. It's, it's kind of our combine notebook. But one day, I don't know why I was kind of watching. I was kind of standing on the rail talking to someone, and I noticed Bobrov sprinting down the stairs, and one thing I knew was that Bobrov was very skeptical of the NHL Combine's measurements. He, because of um, the way that uh, Joachim Kemmel got measured in, and you remember mm -hmm. he was he was measured in much shorter than people thought he was. And I was told that Bobrov was very skeptical of that measurement. So then he became skeptical of all the measurements. Well. <laughs> For and with good reason. I mean, Owen Pickering told us that he he managed yes, to get right. measured with his with his cell phone in his pocket, his cell phone so in it his could pocket. it could add a few hundred grams to his yes, total weight. Exactly. So <laughs> so anyhow, so I'm, I'm against. I figure, I think I was maybe talking to Corey Pondman. I don't remember, but um, he uh, he went sprinting down. So I went to go check who was getting measured, and it was Vincent Roar. And just to give a shout out to Corey Pondman, this is how good he is. As soon as I saw that it was Vincennes Roar, I, I walked straight to Corey and I said, Corey, what can you tell me about Vincennes Roar? And he just gave me like this, this bio of him. Like quickly, this, this, he's good at this, he's not good at this. Like third round pick. Like he's like, it's, it's an encyclopedia. But, so anyhow, um, so we kind of wrote in the notebook, oh, if the Canadians call Vincennes Roar's name at the draft, then you heard it here first. And turns out they did draft him. So anyhow, that yeah. was a feather, a feather in our cap for a bit. But um, he's kind of an interesting story, and I think it's actually something that 
maybe more NHL teams should look into doing. Um, under normal circumstances, as a CHL player, I believe the Canadians would the Canadians have to sign him at the end of this season. They have two years, right, for a CHL okay, player. Uh- CHL players, they got two years. Yeah, yeah. And so, if you so play, under, uh, yeah. So under normal circumstances, if Vincent Roy had stayed in the OHL, stayed at, with the Ottawa 67s, they would have to make a decision on him at the end of this season. Because he went to Zurich, he signed a two-year contract with Zurich. They can now wait until after that contract is up. So they've bought themselves an extra year of development, which is smart thing number one. Smart thing number two – Okay, before you get to that smart thing number two, let's stick to smart thing number one. Was this a decision decision by the team or him who said, you know what, I'd rather go back to Switzerland? You know what? No, it was it was both. What happened was Zurich targeted him as a guy that they could get, yeah, um, that could help them because Zurich is, is okay. Zurich's the best team in the Swiss in in the National League in Switzerland. Um, they're also the, probably the wealthiest team in the National yeah. League. They're the only team that has its own U twenty team. They're a very development-heavy organization. Um, and Mark Crawford's the coach there. I had a long conversation with him, and, and he really firmly believes in developing their own talent. And, and most of the teams in that league don't do that. They play. They have older teams, young guys. It's very hard for young guys to get into the lineup. Uh, Roar has been a pretty consistent presence in Crawford's lineup, and they're the best team in the league. Um, so, so, yeah, to your point um, – Sorry, so it was a it, that it was, it was a common it was a, decision. It was a mutual, was a mutual, mutual decision. decision. Yeah. So like Crawford said that they targeted Roar because he would not be an import necessarily. Because in the same sense that Reinbacher is not an import, I believe. Yeah. I believe Roar is not an import either. I could be wrong on that. Actually, maybe no, no. That Austri- Austrians are not considered imports right. uh, in Switzerland. So, so, so he's, he's not, not an, import. an import. He's. Uh, obviously a high skill guy. I mean, he's, he's one of the few NHL drafted players in the league. I mean, you know, other than guys who already played in the NHL, obviously, but guys who are, who have yet to play in the NHL, there's not many drafted players in that league. Um, so the Canadians or sorry, Zurich reached out to the Canadians, explained their program. Um, their facilities are basically NHL level. I mean, I actually, you know what? Their facilities are very similar to what Laval has. Okay. So a very, you know, compared to Cloten, very nice facilities. <laughs> like very, very nice. And um, and he has a strength and conditioning coach there who's uh, who's been working with him consistently. And 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 this is the thing that struck me, and and I will write about this probably next week. Um, you know, the dedication he has to put on muscle and and build himself into the NHL version of himself uh, has blown Mark Crawford away, has blown his strength coach over there away. And the other benefit of this, other than getting the extra year of development is that he's basically going to Switzerland and gets to play an NCAA style schedule where generally sometimes you play on Tuesday, but generally you play Friday, Saturday or Friday, Sunday, and you sleep in your bed every night. And, and you don't, and you don't go to school compared to NCAA. So if you want to spend a lot of time at the gym, it. you can. Well, he is. He's spending lots of time in the gym, and this is what uh, this is what has blown them away about him. So you know, on the ice, he's getting there. You know, it's tough. It's tough as a young player in that league. It's difficult. And so, but he's 
you know, he's helping them. Crawford said he tries to get him power play time, you know, but basically he kind of needs injuries in order to get that power play time, but he's getting regular minutes. He's playing a regular shift and he's putting in a ton of work in the gym. And, you know, Crawford's convinced like Crawford thinks at the end of his two year contracts, this is year one. At the end of that, he said that probably need a year in Laval. And then he's going to be a really solid, he compared him to, you know, he compared his ceiling to be like a David Peral type player in the NHL. So that's a high ceiling. That's a high ceiling, yeah, but it's that it's that grit in his game that Crawford really likes and that Crawford thinks is going to be transferable to the NHL, you know? And so, yes, he has a lot of skill, um, but that grit and that determination that has really blown him away. Like, he, he couldn't stop talking about how determined this kid is. So, we'll see. A third-round pick, you know, nothing's guaranteed, but this seems to be kind of a loophole in the whole – process the whole all the rules governing chl players now this would obviously only apply to like european players like i don't i don't know to what extent you could do this with everyone but it's uh it's an interesting little loophole that they found and and i think it's been beneficial for roarer uh on a personal level he's closer to home he seems very happy there Uh, on a professional level he's getting everything he needs professionally from a very well-run organization, a professional organization, obviously, and playing against high-quality competition. Um, And so I think probably improves his path to the NHL, Mm. like better than it probably would have had he stayed in the CHL and then gone, played next season in Laval. You know, I think having the two years in Zurich with the time he gets to work on his body and then come to Laval – Probably is going to be better for him. We'll see what happens. I don't think anything. He's not a he's not a surefire no doubter NHL, but Mark Crawford. No, and especially especially with is. the body that he's got, he needs he needs a lot of runway to develop and fully mature. I'll physically. tell you what, man. I, I I sat with him for twenty minutes, and he's already he already looks much different than he did at development camp. Mm-hmm. Like it's okay. it's noticeable. He's he's a thicker he's thicker than he was and. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into, I actually haven't gone through the tape yet with his strength and conditioning coach, but he started throwing out a whole bunch of, uh, initials and terms that I didn't understand. I had to stop and like, okay, what does that mean? Okay. What does that mean? And he's just like, but basically all the metrics that they use, all the evaluation. And what the one thing that was actually really interesting is that his training, like they are measuring the, uh, they're measuring the tools you need to win battles and applying them into their training methods. It was actually a really interesting conversation. And, and so when you read the story, you'll, you'll get more of it because it's, okay. I need to jog my memory, but sure. You know, he, he, he basically, they measure what you exert in battle situations in practice and they try to gear their workout routines to help improve that uh, that performance. Okay. Basically, they 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 have they have training regimens meant to improve your ability to win board battles. I thought it was super interesting. Anyhow, In Switzerland, but, that's In interesting. Switzerland, absolutely. That's interesting because it would be one yeah. thing to do that in Laval, but to do that in Switzerland to, to yeah. you know develop your your physical strategy well, based that- on one on one battles. That's good. Well, this, At least this speaks to the sincerity of, of Zurich's motives here. You know, like yeah. they basically, 
they know that Roar has to improve in that area of the game in order to one day make the NHL. And so they're working on it. You know, I don't, mm. you know, he probably, he doesn't need it as much in the Swiss. There are board battles in the Swiss league. I mean, it's, it's or in the national league, I should say in Switzerland, it's, 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 it's not as physical as the NHL, but there are board battles and you, you, you are entering them against men, grown men, yeah. usually in their late twenties, early thirties. Uh, but yeah, it was it was super interesting conversations, um, both with him. He's a fascinating guy to talk to. He's really well oh, spoken. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. super confident and and just like uh, you can see interest. how yeah you could see how he would kill the combine interview. You know, like yeah. walking into a team suite, he would be the like he he would leave all those scouts like whoa, look at that kid, <laughs> yeah. that kid's yeah. impressive. You know. I mean, that's how he left me. It's like 20 minutes after speaking. Like he's just a really intelligent, reasonable, like, well, a thoughtful kid, you know? And so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so let's see. We'll see what, what comes of it. But I think uh, from what I saw, I think the move to Zurich is probably going to be a positive for him. That's good. Something that Philip Michard would have been eligible for that, I guess? Or I, I suppose so, yeah. I mean, it's... It's different path, but I mean, it's a different path, and he would have, you know, he wouldn't go play in Slovakia, um, because the league's no. not not that good. So, you know, I mean, he's. I think there was some thought of him going to Sweden yeah. at some point, um, which he could have done. I don't know what the import rule is in Sweden, or if they even have one. Um, but, but in any case, he's been doing fine, just fine in yeah, Kitchener. I think the Rangers so. is working out just fine for him. So, but in any case, it's it is something. It's an interesting tactic, let's say, uh, that maybe they could use with CHL players in the future. And I don't know to what extent you could do it with a Canadian or whatever, but it's mm-hmm. it's working out in this. Maybe maybe this is a one-shot deal. Maybe this was just the perfect circumstance to do it in. But in any case, the Canadians wind up with an extra year to evaluate him. He winds up with an extra year to work on his everything he needs to work on. And maybe at the end of the process, the Canadians get a really nice, polished middle six forward out of it. Yeah, that'd be great. I mean, he's yeah. 5'11", so he's not the smallest guy, but I remember my memory of him as being a, a, a tiny guy. But at some point, that you got some some body frames that can add can add some more muscle and, and mm-hmm. really develop. I remember KK, when he arrived, he was, you know, he was yeah. so thin. And now in his Carolina Hurricanes days, he's, oof, okay, he's become a man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so he's a bigger guy, but you know, so it's on the I mean, slim side or lean, let's say. But yeah, he's yeah. definitely filled out his frame, which we all knew he would, you know. And so, I mean, in Rohr's case, it's less it's less obvious. Like even on draft day for Kakiniemi, you saw the frame was there. There's nothing on yeah. it, so you could see that there's that's a frame that you can build on. Rohr did not look like he had that frame to build on, and and he's building on it. Honestly, like his strength coaches. First of all, he's a specimen of a man, <laughs> the strength yeah. coach is. And he is just, honestly, he's, he's blown away by the improvements he's made uh, just in the short time he's been there since, I guess, August when he started working with them. So, uh, yeah, late August or so. Okay. Hasn't been a very long time. So he's doing anyway, well. Anyway, the... Yeah, I'll, I'll I'll get used to naming him or saying his name more often. But Roar, some right now, doesn't roll off the tongue very easily. It yeah, reminds yeah, me look, of that. Oh, yeah, it, yeah, look, it reminds me of that. that. 
Yeah, exactly. Reminds me of that old uh, SNL skit. No, it was actually in 30 Rock where they talk about the this show called The Rural Juror. <laughs> the Rural Juror. <laughs> so, anyway. All right. Uh, hey, man, I got to go. So, and our listeners too, and uh-huh. you too. So let's yeah. go. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. We'll be back on Monday. So Canadians are playing in Boston on Saturday night. Uh, and we'll be back with our, our Monday mailbag. So, hey, uh, send us your questions. You can do so on our, uh, well, through email. But uh, you can just write us at basuandgodin at gmail.com or through our Twitter handle, which is simply basuandgodin. And uh, if you listen to us on Apple Podcasts, well, why don't you stop and give us a, a little comment, a little five-star rating. That always helps. And uh, voila. That's it. Have a nice weekend, everyone. And we will talk to you on Monday. <laughs>